I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 6. I've decided I'm going to use the podium mic this morning because if you were here last week, you know, I was having trouble with that wrap, wrap around the ear mic, a little bit loose, and it was a little looser this morning when I put it on, and I was like, we'll, 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 we'll figure that out somehow, uh, maybe get a new one. But in the meantime, I'm going to use the podium mic here. Um, Acts chapter 6. Uh, before I read it, last week we were in 1 Timothy, and we kind of got a big picture perspective on life in God's household and looked at a number of principles that are really helpful for us as we talk about being a faithful church family. Now, this week in Acts chapter 6, we kind of uh, get uh, a really close look at the early church, at God's household in action. And there's a lot to, to learn from. But before, before I actually read the passage, I want to remind us what is happening in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is about the, the movement of the gospel from those initial disciples outward to more and more people in more and more places. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, continually calls attention to that progress and that movement. So if you have the book of Acts in front of you, I, I just want to kind of fly through a few passages just so you get the, the feel of the movement, which will help us understand Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told his apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and those other early disciples and the word of God was proclaimed and the apostle Peter preached a great sermon and many people came to the Lord. Acts chapter 2 verse 41 says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls and, and the gospel transformed those people into a community of learning and a community of prayer and a community of love and they kept growing Acts chapter 2 second half of verse 47 and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved and of course they met with opposition and persecution but they kept on proclaiming the gospel and more and more people kept on believing that gospel and becoming part of God's family it says in Acts chapter 4 verse 4 but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And, and they meet with more persecution and more opposition, and they pray earnestly to God that he would give them courage and boldness to share the word. And it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The word of God is going forth. They meet with more arrest and opposition in chapter 5. And at the very end of chapter 5, it says, Acts 5, 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So you, you can just see from those several verses that the gospel is on the move as his 
people proclaim it to more people in more places to build up the church and to keep drawing more people in. But what, what happens is that as we're seeking to be faithful to Jesus and participate in his mission, we meet with various kinds of problems, troubles, difficulties that threaten the ongoing work of the mission. Some of that, some of those issues are external, as in when there's, when there's opposition and persecution that comes in from the outside. But sometimes the problems that we have to deal with are internal, and that's what we see in Acts chapter 6. The end of chapter 5, they're teaching and preaching the gospel. At the beginning of chapter 6, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose. And that's a, that's a, that's a threat. That's a potential uh, uh, cause of mission drift. Are you going to deal with the issue or not? And if you deal with the issue, are you going to deal with it well or poorly? Because what you want to happen is, look at chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. After they had addressed the issue, the ministry kept going, the mission kept going out, and the word of God kept reaching more and more people. You see? So let me read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. God's word says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's word, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, uh, we again thank you that in the midst of our chaotic world and the ups and downs of our own lives, we have a sure and certain and stable and life-giving word, holy scripture written down for our good and for our sanctification. And Father, I pray that we would learn from this passage and be helped by it as we seek to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we 
open in chapter 6, we learn that an issue rises to the surface. There was a complaint, and as it turns out, the, the, the complaint was justified. There really was a problem. The problem was that there were some needy widows who were being overlooked by the, by the church's care. The church, the early church, was very generous, and they were very attentive to caring for one another's needs. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 34, it says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This was a very caring community. They were sharing what they had with one another to meet every need in the, in the, in the body of believers. And this particular group of widows who were being neglected, I, 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 doubt, I doubt that it was anything malicious or deliberate, but somehow in, 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 a, in a church of, by now, I mean, there's sev several thousand. That's big. Somehow, a particular group of widows were being overlooked and that came to the attention of the apostles. And there's, an, there's another layer to the neglect because as it happens, it says that the complaint was by the, by the Hellenists. That's a nice fancy word for Greek-speaking Jews, okay? So, so these, are, these are ethnic Jews who believe in Jesus and they have been significantly impacted by Greek culture and they speak the Greek language and that complaint by them arose against the Hebrews. The Hebrews refers also to ethnic Jews who believe in Jesus but they were less impacted or less affected by Greek culture and they likely spoke Aramaic. And so you, you, you know, so you can see the, the potential, at least, for some, a, a significant cultural divide to take place and cause friction if they didn't deal intentionally, intentionally with it. The reality is, is that everyone who believes in Jesus is a part of God's family. There's a beautiful passage in Galatians chapter 3, chapter 3, uh, verse 26, which says, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The point is not that those secondary characteristics cease to exist. It's that they're secondary. They're not decisive. In Christ, what is decisive is that we have put on Christ and we are united to Him and we need to function in unity as a church family. We must learn to find our identity and our unity in Christ. 
And so there are at least two issues that are rising to the surface in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Some widows aren't being cared for, and there's potential for cultural disunity within the family of God. We must walk in unity with our fellow believers. We must care for everyone within the body of Christ. And if, if we're failing to do that, or if we're starting to get off track, then we need to deal with it, lest the health of our church deteriorate and our mission be compromised. So moving on to verses 2 to 4, the 12, referring to the 12 apostles, take initiative to address the issue. This is what leaders do. They take initiative. They lead the way. They chart the course. And they knew a few things, these apostles. They knew that the issue must be addressed, and they knew that it would not be right for them to become the hands-on problem solvers. Now, there was nothing wrong with the fact that earlier on, as we saw in Acts chapter 4, people, believers, would sell houses and lands, and they would lay the proceeds at the apostles' feet. The, the implication seems to be that at that point, the apostles were significantly involved in distributing resources for the, for the poor within God's family. There's nothing wrong with that, but at, at, at this point, they recognize that the, the problem is getting too big. And so they knew that they needed to appoint others to correct the neglect. It says in verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I want you to notice several things about what they did. They directed the congregation to participate in the solution. Now here's a problem. You know, since we're being real this morning, um, just, you know, pray, pray for us. It, it's, it's hard. It's hard. You know? And it's not just, it's not, just his, it's not just his issue. It's our issue. It's a family issue. It's, you know, parent, parental issue. You know, we've, we've got we've to grow and, and learn and, and, uh, and love on him. And so I just, you know, just be real. It's tough. They directed the congregation to participate in the solution. And the idea was that the apostles would appoint seven men to this task, but they wanted the congregation to select these seven men. And they laid out the criteria, right? The criteria goes right along with the criteria that we saw last week in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but it's much more simplified here. Okay, these seven men must have a good reputation. They must be full of the Spirit. And they must be full of wisdom. And they entrusted 
the selection of these seven men to the congregation. And I, I really want you to chew on that. The early church was not that old at this particular point in Acts chapter 6. They trusted the congregation. They, they, they trusted God's working in these spirit-filled disciples. All of them. Thousands. They trusted God to work through the congregation in order to discern and recognize and select these men. Sometimes, sometimes leaders are very reluctant to trust others. And they're very slow to, to, to give away responsibilities. If you have a congregation of true disciples, born again, indwelt by the Spirit of God, and instructed in the Word, if you have a congregation of true disciples, then treat them accordingly. They have the Spirit, they have wisdom, they have gifts. Trust the Holy Spirit to work through them and entrust responsibilities to them. What Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, is so powerful. Paul writes to the church, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. If you don't trust the congregation to take on certain responsibilities, and if you don't trust other people to handle specific tasks, then you're going to be an unhealthy leader who's, who's, who's trying to do everything yourself, and the church and the mission will suffer. Effective leaders lead. They do lead. That's what they're doing here. But they also know how to hand off, entrust, appoint, delegate, set out a course of action, and they do it anxiety-free. They really do trust the Lord to work through others. And they do it guilt-free. They do not assume that they should do everything. And they gladly don't. The 12 apostles knew what their specific calling required. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, of course, in one sense, the whole church was devoted to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to the, to the fellowship. But the point is, in terms of their life's work, the apostles needed to be out in front, totally immersed in a life of, of teaching and praying to and for God's people. And they were going to remain on point. Now, we're going to come back to this verse when I get into some application, but let's move on as we walk through the passage of verse, verses 5 and 6. The congregation performed the task assigned to it. This is so, such a healthy situation envisioned here. First of all, they were pleased by the apostles' directive. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that's the way it should be if, if, you, if, you, have, if you have humble, wise, spirit-filled leaders speaking to humble, wise, spirit-filled congregation, then generally speaking, it will, it will not always be the case. We're flawed human beings. 
but it's a wonderful thing when the congregation finds the leader's proposed course of action pleasing, and they're on board. And so they, they, however they did it, we don't know the, the mechanics of their selection process. That's not important as far as Luke is concerned. What's important is that they did it. They identified seven men who met the criteria, and they set those seven men before the apostles. And then in verse, the, the second half of verse 6, the apostles commissioned the seven to their, their assigned service. Now, Luke doesn't tell us any more at this point, but the assumption is that the seven actually did the work assigned to them, thus bringing relief and unity to the congregation and to the previously overlooked widows. And with that issue successfully addressed, then the fruit of their effort is in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The fruit of their effort to address the issue within the congregation was continued growth outside the congregation. The fruit of healthy church life is fruitful mission. Now, let me, I want to make a number of applications from this text, and I want to remind you, or really call your attention to the fact, that the book of Acts is a... It's, it's a history. It's a history of what happened. There are no commands in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. There are no commands to us. None. Acts 6, 1 through 7 does not tell us directly what we should do. Okay? There's no, no commands. Instead, Luke, the Holy Spirit, through Luke, is he's giving us a picture. And he wants us to observe that picture and to learn from it. And we might find that some of, the, some of the picture links up with some other instructions in the New Testament or the Old Testament, and then it kind of takes on a little bit more force in terms of telling us what to do. But, but really, it's, it's a picture here that we want to learn from. We want to learn wisdom. We want to learn principles. We want to learn priorities. And so I have... I have uh, Five or, I have six applications, but the first three are very general. They're just additional food for thought that I think is worth mentioning before I get into the, the more important applications. Number one, not every important job should be done by you. You can recognize that there is an important job to be done. You can recognize that someone should do it. And yet, you can be confident that it's not yours to take up. And you can be anxiety-free and guilt-free as you guard your own priorities and trust God to supply what is needed. The apostles knew that they needed to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Young mothers know that they should first of all devote themselves to their husbands and their children. And you have to, those are just two examples. Out of many we could give, you have to learn to say, no, that's somebody else's job. 
Second general application, godly character and spiritual maturity are important for all kinds of ministry. The apostles did not say that prayer and the ministry of the word is for the spiritually minded. And serving tables, providing care for widows, that's for the practically minded. No, no, no. He didn't say that. Good character, good reputation, Holy Spirit, presence, transforming you, growing in wisdom is important whether you're preaching or running the clothes ministry. Okay? Because whatever we're doing, whether we're speaking or doing, we're called to represent God, to reflect His character and grace. And it needs to get into every aspect of our lives. Here's the third general application. Don't sweep issues under the carpet. Long-term fruitfulness in mission is tied to the spiritual health of the church. Neglecting issues, which means neglecting people, will bear bad fruit. Time spent addressing difficulties is time well spent because we have to be unified and loving one another and treating each other in a way that honors the Lord if we're going to be a pillar and buttress of the truth, which is what Paul highlighted last week in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Every real issue is a test. So just slow down. Don't resent the fact that the test is there or that the trial is there or that the issue is there. Every real issue is a test to see, will we walk in wisdom? Will we trust God? Will we love one another through this valley? And if we do, we may be surprised at the missional fruitfulness that God gives on the other side because we were faithful. Now, these final three applications are more specific to the text, to the, to the specificity of, of the text. So number four, the leaders of the church must maintain the right priorities. The 12 understood the priority of word ministry and prayer ministry, and they expected the congregation to understand it too. And just a, just a, a brief uh, word here, that elders, elders really are the ones who, who, who carry on the, the priority of word ministry and prayer ministry in the life of the church. Okay? Obviously, the, the apostles had a unique authority in, in forming the foundation of the church. They had a special authority, and they had a regional ministry. The, the apostles ministered regionally from place to place over many churches. The, elder, the ministry of the elders is focused on one particular church, right? So apostles, regional. Elders focused on one church, but, but they do the same kinds of things. They, they, they shepherd the flock. They take the lead in prayer. They, they teach. They encourage. They exhort. And so there's application here to 
what elders do. Later on in Acts chapter 15, you'll notice that the elders of the church in Jerusalem work with the apostles in order to work through a doctrinal dispute and to bring clarity for the, for the early church. And so what the apostles do regionally, the elders do locally. So I'm going to apply it to elders because that's the situation we're in. We don't have apostles running around. Here we have elders. Elders must be so committed to these priorities of word ministry and prayer ministry that they are vigilant to avoid distractions. And the congregation must be so, uh, so committed to these priorities that the elders have that they are diligent to help the elders stay on point. And I'm not telling you this because I don't think you know this. I'm actually confident that you do know this. I, I, I feel the reality of actually living in accordance with what, Paul, what, what Luke is talking about here. But I do want to give you this, this kind of spiritual antenna. If you come to a church and find out that the pastors and elders do everything, then you should understand that that church is on the path to losing its usefulness in God's kingdom. Why? Because word ministry and prayer ministry are the root of a healthy church. Other things will come up, like what do we do about the widows? What do we do about the benevolence fund? Should we start a soup kitchen? What about a homeless ministry? What about garments of praise and our, our clothing ministry? What about widow care, financial assistance, other kinds of social ministry? And there's a temptation to put that into the driver's seat. Come on, Christianity is practical. Let's focus on people's needs. Their, their physical, their financial, their social, their educational needs. Let's focus there. Let's make that our focus, and we'll, we'll de-emphasize the word. And you go down that path too far, it's time to put a different sign in front of your church building. South Paris Social Action Agency. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. When it comes to the fruit of love, the fruit of love is wide-ranging. It might involve tutoring a child to help them become literate, waiting on a widow, driving someone to the doctor's office, feeding the homeless, yes, and amen to all of that. That is good fruit. But where does that fruit come from? If it's, if it's of the Lord, if it's God-pleasing, if it's displaying the, the glory and the grace of God, that fruit comes from a healthy root which is nourished through word ministry and prayer ministry. Besides, where did this wise and discerning congregation come from in the first place? Word ministry. Where did these seven men come from who, who were mature and strong in the Lord to undertake this ministry? From word ministry. Because the apostles were on point, faithful, proclaiming the gospel, building up the church in the ways of the Lord. Leaders, the, the, the elders, the pastors, must focus on preaching, praying, and looking at the big picture needs of the flock. That needs to be their focus. 
Fifth, fifth uh, application. This is kind of a, a balance to the last point. Word ministry and prayer ministry is not the only thing we care about. You see, if you only looked at my last point and, and didn't look at it closely enough, you might think, oh, so nothing else matters. No. I didn't say that nothing else matters. This matters. This, this ministry to the widows matters so much that only Holy, Holy Spirit-filled people should do it. The point is, is that word ministry and prayer ministry is foundational and central, but it's not everything. Do you understand? We, we, we care about people. God put us, her, put us here into this earthly reality, physical life, social life, physical and financial and tangible needs. And we're called to demonstrate love, service, sacrifice in an abundance of good works that demonstrates we are not preoccupied with ourselves, but we are seeking to demonstrate practical love to others in many different ways. Finally, number six, deacons. Now, I admit readily that the word deacons is, does not appear in this particular passage. I would simply argue that the seven, the ministry of the seven, it's a, it's a deacon-like ministry that they undertook. Deacons are a biblical strategy for helping the church keep the main thing the main thing. For keeping the pastors and elders free from distraction. Not because it's not important to care for widows, but because it's important for the elders to stay on point with their calling to minister the word and prayer. Deacons are a biblical strategy for helping the pastors and elders focus and remain focused on their primary calling. We want word ministry and prayer ministry to flourish, and therefore we want the primary ministers of the word to remain focused on their task, and trusting the Lord will bring good fruit in and through his people as the word of God is actively at work in people's lives. Spirit-filled men should preach the word and lead in prayer. And doing so is love to the church family. What, what's happening here right now, this, this, is, this is one demonstration of love. Just one. But it is a demonstration of love. That the family would be built up in the word of God. And spirit-filled men and women should perform practical tasks that also demonstrate love by meeting pressing needs. Now, when exactly should a person be recognized as a deacon or a deaconess? That's a tough call. So many of you do so many very important and practical things, and it's not as if everyone should be a deacon or everyone should be a deaconess, and everyone would be. I mean, everyone is called to be a servant. But I just want to to give voice to the fact that God is, God is working good things and healthy things into this congregation. Like I said before, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I have to persuade you of what this text teaches in terms of priority because I feel like the vast majority of you are with me and with the elders in, in, in these priorities. It is, it is good that Wendy, Wendy, hi, that she ad administrates the office. It is, it is good that, 
that, that Tammy and, and Irwin and Ken and, and Wendy handle the, take, take the lead in handling the finances. It's good that Kirk and Derek and Matt take the lead with building-related issues. It's good that Amanda cleans the church building. These are, and, and, and so many, so many more of you could be mentioned. That's, that's the way a healthy church is supposed to work. And thank God that he's been producing that good fruit here at South Paris Baptist Church. A church that addresses its problems and works through conflict and seeks to grow in love, all, way, all, all the while maintaining the right priorities of word and prayer ministry, that's the kind of church that grows in the way that God wants. So let's press on. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are a gracious God and you treat us far better than we deserve. If you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? No one. We thank you that you have delivered the gospel message to us that we might be reconciled to you. We thank you that you have brought us the whole word of God so that we can know you and walk in your ways and, and do life together the way that you want us to. And Father, I thank you for all the demonstrations of your grace at work in our congregation. And I pray that, that they would multiply more and more, not only so that we would be healthy, but so that we would be a better conduit of, of gospel ministry to our neighborhoods, to our neighbors, to our colleagues, to our acquaintances, that, that more and more people would taste and see that you are good. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd invite you to stand to receive the benediction. And uh, before I do, I just want to remind you, of, uh, we'll say two things. Number one, remember if you're going to share music at the praise time in the Pine Forest, you can sign up on the sign-up sheet at the back table. And I also encourage you, if you haven't already, Joel and India and their family are down front, come up and greet them, give them a hug, offer them your handshake and your heart. Okay? So... May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.